do have two announcements before we get started. The first one is next Sunday after both services. If you are not in a gospel community, we are doing a gospel community meet and greet. So if you'd like to meet some of the gospel community leaders, they have put together things called One Sheets, which talk about their gospel communities, when they meet, what they do, what their focus is, and you can look at that and then meet some of them and ask some questions. It is, again, next Sunday after each service. Uh, the second thing is we support a ministry in Santa Maria called CareNet. CareNet uh, gets counseling to young women in crisis. They do a lot of good things about the, the life of the unborn. And if you want to know more about CareNet and go to their banquet, they're doing a banquet in a week from Thursday. And if you would like to go to that banquet, it is free, but it is also a fundraiser, so they will ask you for money during it, uh, but it is free. And if you talk to uh, Sarah at the Welcome Center, we'll get you in touch with, touch with somebody, and they will tell you more about what CareNet is at the banquet, but also that fundraiser as well and they'll feed you apparently the swiss which burnt down trying to find things to do they're doing food for it so if you like the swiss and the steakhouse that it is you could actually go there and and do that so let her know if you are interested in going i think it's uh 5 30 to 8 30 a week from thursday september 30th so there you go if you are new to element welcome there are bibles in the seat backs in front of you if you don't own one you can have one if you forgot one you can use one there are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room they look like this and we're doing these different for the songs of ascent we're doing a little more focus on some stuff so inside of this on the left side you're going to get a day reading as well as a question and then something to pray through five days during this week. Uh, then on the other side, there are some questions to ask one another if you're in a gospel community or with friends with people. Then on the back, there's the psalm. And on the bottom here, there is the verses we're going to go through today. So you can grab one of those if you don't have one. I found this very useful because usually I will do the digital version, but a hard copy seems so much better to me when there are certain things that I want to actually read through and answer during the week. If you want to take notes, you can write all over this. If you do have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Uh, I think it's just called the Bible app if you type into the App Store, either on Google or Apple. And once you get that, you click on More and Then Events in version. We will come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's actually the verse we have on the side of all back there for the series. Anyway, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for being so gracious and good to us. And I ask that today, as we walk through these things, we would learn to trust you, to honor you for who you call us to be in our lives, that we would take these steps as we walk up these mountains with you, this journey that we go on, so that we would be a people who are fully committed to you and your work in our lives. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series called The Songs of Ascent. It is Psalm 120 through 134. Each week we're covering one of these psalms. Uh, well, this is week two, by the way, if you missed last week. And these were prayers originally prayed by travelers who'd be going up to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. Now, if you go to the ancient world, uh, there are temples everywhere. Even now, if you go to Eastern countries, there's a lot of temples in a lot of different places. I'm glad you guys are grabbing the sermon notes. That's awesome. Uh, there's lots of temples in a lot of different places. Like today, if you, you'll find a lot of temples to like Vishnu and Buddha. But Israel, they had one 
temple because they believed in one God. And that temple was in Jerusalem. Now there were synagogues and the synagogues would gather and they would read God's word and they'd pray and they'd worship together and things like that. But corporate worship of their entire nation happened in, Israel, in Jerusalem at that temple. And you'd recite these as you went up there. Now in the temple, there's a place called the most holy place. And that is where God was said to come and dwell. And only the high priest could go in there. So when everybody would gather together, they'd gather in the outer courtyard, they would offer their sacrifices, and they would praise God together. And again, these ascents were the songs they would sing as they went up to the major feasts in Israel. And we are doing this because we are going to end with our major feast, which is called Christmas. So we're going to go 15 weeks to get to Christmas. And it's a way to refocus our lives upon what God is doing. A lot of these messages are coming out of this book that I read like 20 plus years ago called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And A Long Obedience in the Same Direction is all about discipleship, all about the steps. And the first step in discipleship is what we talked about last week, repentance. All of our lives coming back to who God is calling us to be. We return to who He called and made us to be. And part of that is recognizing the lies in the culture around us, but also the lies that we tell ourselves. We are a people who hate to admit it, but everybody lies. Now, there are some lies that are bigger than other lies, obviously. Uh, George Bush years ago says, read my lips, no new taxes. Then you got new taxes. Uh, Bill Clinton says, I did not have sex with that woman, and that was a big old lie. Uh, Biden said, uh, we have considered every contingency for getting out of Afghanistan. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, we, we lie so much in our lives. Some lies are smaller. It could be if you have a significant other and they say, hey, does this look good on me? And you're like, do you think it looks good on you? I mean, how do, how do I answer this question? You don't know what to say. Uh, people say, how you doing? What do you say? Fine. We lie so much that it's hard to even think that maybe someone's telling us the truth every once in a while. Studies have even been done that show that infants will learn how to cry to manipulate people before they ever learn to speak, which means we learn how to lie before we learn how to speak. And the first steps to walking with God in repentance is agreeing with God about our problem. Our problem is us and our sin that we have run away from Him. It's the condition. And God is the one who speaks the truth because God is not just sovereign. God also does not lie. Now open your Bibles to Psalm 121. If you have the Element Bible, that's page 332. Sometimes we will even interpret God's truthful words to us through the grid of our lives that make us think He isn't truthful. Like when God says, I'll be with you. I will never forsake you or leave you, we interpret that as God saying, you're never going to have any trouble. Everything's going to be smooth sailing. Everything's going to be easy when that's not what God said at all. He said he'll be with us in the midst of those trials, in the midst of those troubles, that God will use everything to bring himself glory and bring us growth. And so this ascent to Jerusalem for these people, it wasn't easy. We are taking 15 weeks to walk through these. It didn't take them 15 weeks, but they, as I said, they were also walking up a mountain, so they maybe had it a little bit harder than we did. Uh, this is, again, all to be reflective. So we start in repentance, and the next step we move into from repentance is trust. We trust who God is and what He has said. So I'm going to give you Peterson's translation of Psalm 121, but I will quote the ESV throughout the rest of the service. But Psalm 121, this is what Peterson's translation. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from mountains? No. My strength come from, comes from God who made heaven and earth and mountains. He won't let you stumble. Now the word stumble there, it's, it's not meant that we're not going to trip and fall. It's that God holds us when we fall. Uh, it says, your guardian God won't fall asleep. Not on your life. Israel's guardian won't Will never doze or sleep. God's your guardian right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke, sheltering you from moonstroke. God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now. He guards you 
always. So we are people who can step into the place of repentance because we trust that God is the one who keeps us. We can trust who He is. As I mentioned last week, Peterson starts his book with, with these words, that the world is no friend to grace. Why does he say that? Because when someone starts to follow Christ in their life, most of the people in our world don't stand up and go, yay, good for you. People in the church do, but most people in the, in the world don't. And a lot of times when you become a Christian, it's like someone just jumped you, dumped you on the 405 freeway in rush hour traffic. You're like, ah, well, actually not rush hour because it doesn't go anywhere, uh, but non-rush hour traffic. And you got to like dodge the cars and, oh, what's going on? It's like nothing in our life ever goes how we plan it. Oh, Psalm 121, who do we trust? We trust in the Lord. And I'm going to keep coming back to this idea and repeat myself a lot so you will hopefully remember. You go back to Habakkuk, right? Repeat, remember. I'm going to repeat this so you remember it. Who do we trust? Where do you place your trust? Keep coming back to that. Now, the day I was actually writing this message and putting it together, I, I went home and I was talking to my wife and she's like, hey, would you go get his lunch? And I'm like, sure, I'll go get his lunch. And so I take her car to do that because I have a big old truck. And so I go and she has a plug-in hybrid. You plug it in with this charger in the garage. You get like 30 miles to electric charge. We put gas in that thing maybe once every four or five months. It's amazing. And so I go in and I try to pull the, the plug out of the charger in the, in the car and I'm like, Ugh. Ugh. and then I get down like this because I'm strong. So I get down and I'm like, Ugh. I can break things and I can't figure it out. So I walk in the house and I go, I go, do you know what's wrong with this thing? It won't come out of there. She goes, I don't really know, but did you check and see if it's locked? Because I think if it's locked, you can't get the charger out of the car. Now, obviously the answer is no. I didn't check to see if it was locked because why do you lock your car in your own garage? Which is a debate that she and I have a lot, by the way. Some of you too. Anyway, and so I, I go, I go and I, and yeah, I checked. It was locked. Who knew, right? Because who locks your car in your garage? But who knew? I unlocked it. It came right out. Boom. Crazy. There are times in our lives that happen like that where we think we know what we're doing and we don't. And it actually is a great relief to realize and to say, I can be wrong. I can be wrong. I don't always have to be right. Sometimes there's embarrassment in that. Sometimes I got to tell my wife she's right and I'm wrong. Actually, all the time I have to do that. But there is a time when we find out in our lives that where we are wrong can actually bring some relief and to help us. I mean, for me, I could have pulled out a pry bar and started trying to get that thing out of the car, not have a whole lot of embarrassment when I went to the dealership and they're like, yeah, you got to pay to fix that now, dummy. I mean, that's what would have happened if I, if I went there. But this is the idea and understanding. I was mostly glad to find out that I was actually wrong. And what Psalm 121 does is it reminds us what the wisdom literature in the Bible teaches us over and over. That there are many things in our lives that we are chasing, trying to make us full inside. But all they ever do is leave us empty because they were never meant to fulfill us. What the scriptures show is our fulfillment in our lives was always meant to come from God himself. That's why the first step of the journey is repentance. We return to who God is calling us to be. We trust him for the truth that he is the one who brings us righteousness through Christ. It is not based on our own merit. Metaphorically, we don't even know how to plug or unplug our cars because we don't know how they actually work. And so these Psalms, again, are part of what is known as the wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, what it tries to do is get you to ask the correct questions over your life so it Turns you to who God is. And in the wisdom literature, one of the most proper questions to ask is, what's the meaning of life? Is the meaning of life us having all the answers? Is it us never being wrong? Is it us not needing help? No. Our problem is that too often we live our lives like we are afraid to realize where we are wrong. 
We're afraid to point out the lies in ourselves and what we're holding on to. And a good part of figuring out the wisdom literature is an awareness that all that we have, all that we have been through is from the hand of God. And when that clicks, we will stop to focus so much on the temporary around us and we will start to focus more on the eternal. It reminds us that when the temporary takes over our lives, we become lost. The book of Ecclesiastes calls it vapor. The church father Augustine said this, He who has God is everything. He who does not have God has nothing. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. See, the Psalms of Ascent are meant to move us to a place where we understand that all we need is God alone. And where many of the wisdom literatures keep asking, when will you be content or happy? The Ascents keep coming back to this idea of, when will you truly trust God to be God over you? When will you truly trust Him to be who He says that He is? Now, we covered this you know, a couple years ago, talking through these things, but we all have something in our life that we think, when I get it, when I achieve it, when I control that, when I master that, well, then my life will be fulfilled and full. And many times we try and use God to give us those things. God, I'll follow you if you do this. Jesus, I'll love you if you do this. Jesus, just do what you're told and give me these things. But God isn't manipulated by our desires. Think of all the things you were growing up and you just wanted. If you had that thing, well, you, you would just have it all. Uh, for me, 16 years old, I want a car. Got to have a car, which is weird because 16-year-olds today don't always want cars. They still want their parents to drive them around. They're weird. I don't get it, but I wanted a car. So, I, you know, I talked to my dad, and, and, I, got, and I got this old beat-up pickup truck. It had a, had a rag for a gas cap and a pair of pliers to run on the window, but it was mine, and it was awesome. All right, so I, got, I get this car, but then I realized there's insurance, and there's maintenance, and there's cops, and there's gasoline, and now there's roundabouts too. And all of a sudden, what do you do with this? You're 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. What do you have? Uh, your first crush, your first love. Yeah, I'm going to be with them forever. You can't tell me I'm not going to be with them forever. What do you think, mom and dad? And you get all crazy at your mom and dad. And then all of a sudden, you get all jealous with this other person. You guys start arguing all the time because they're crazy and you're crazy. What's going on? Uh, it's not working. It's not fulfilling you. What is going on? And this is for everything in our lives. Today, there is this whole push in our culture. Figure out who you are to you. And then that's who you need to be. And it's like, do you understand? When we are chasing ourselves, we are chasing the temporary. We are not looking to the eternal of who God is. And this could be a salary range. This could be a job. This could be a million different things. We chase things until we die. And we often fear that we'll be enslaved and destroyed by things that we hate and disdain. But it's much more likely we will suffer at the hands of what we love and enjoy apart from God. One commentator says it like this, Our passions and pleasures quickly become capricious gods who rule over us, yet are unable to grant us permanent joy or satisfaction. And this is because real life has more to do with our internal environment, who we are trusting, than our external environment, the things that we have in our hands. Westminster Shorter Catechism of Faith says it like this, Question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God wants us to enjoy, enjoy Him and our relationship with Him that He has given us. And it is not the moment that we say yes to God, all of our troubles go away. It's not the moment that we say, God, I'm going to follow you and say no to the rest of the world, that there's never going to be anything that comes in loneliness or fear, or maybe even anger in that. And if you have ever felt that way, like, I trusted Christ, I should never be lonely or have any anxiety. Well, here's some good news for you. You're wrong. You're wrong. God will walk you through those things because He loves you. The reality is there will be times of loneliness and anger and doubt and accidents in your lives. There will be times you aren't understood by others. If you have kids, there'll be times your kids actually disobey you. 
There'll be times your kids don't even want to be around you. And when the perfect world that we have set up for ourselves just comes crumbling down around us, that can be a blessing. Because in those moments, we can realize, who was I trusting? Was I trusting me? Was I trusting mountains? Or was I trusting God himself? And Psalm 121 is a reminder how many times we go about living the Christian life in discipleship with God in the wrong ways, especially when our focus becomes us. Listening to God reminds us that His truth is what we are meant to live in, and He loves and reminds us where we are wrong. We take these steps on this journey of worshiping God, and it starts in this place of repentance in Psalm 120. And then Psalm 121 gives names to all the confusing things that we put our hope in apart from God. The mountains, that's metaphorically the things around us. What do we trust? When we start to walk with Jesus, people get a pretty big shock in this because Jesus usually just doesn't walk us through trouble. Many times he walks us directly into trouble. There has been this thing for a while in America when people talk about Jesus and they'll say, uh, you have a, a round hole in your heart and you've been trying to fill it with a green rectangle peg of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and it doesn't, and it doesn't fit in there, but... Jesus is a round peg for the round hole in your heart. And if you put that round peg in the round hole, you will be fulfilled. And that is horrible terminology because Jesus is not a product. His goal is not to fulfill you. God's goal is he glorifies himself. And when he glorifies himself, we find joy. He leads us to truth. It is about who he is. And so many people believe that that's the story of the gospel. And the story of the gospel is God's rescue of us in our worst places. And people who think like that think, well, I put the round peg in the round hole. Why do I have problems? It's like I trusted Jesus and Jesus put me on this ship called the Titanic and he steered it towards an iceberg and I don't know what's going to happen on the back side of this. What, what, I put the round peg in the round hole. Who am I supposed to trust? I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. How do I get the charger out of the plug? He trusts the God who made heaven and earth. And the psalm writer, what he does is he gives ideas to all the things that we look to for help other than God. I look to the hills. Oh, I guess there's no help there. Uh, Peterson says in Psalm 121, it's addressed to those of us who, disregarding God, gaze to a distance all around them and make long and devious circuits in quest of remedies to their troubles. What's going to make my life feel better? All these things? No. So what he does is he gives on Jerusalem three things that could befall you. The first one, you could step on gravel or loose stones and break your leg, sprain your ankle, fall off a cliff. What does he say? My strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and mountains. He won't let you stumble. This is metaphorically speaking about the stumbling in our lives. It doesn't mean you can never sprain your ankle. As a matter of fact, I was in uh, Jerusalem a couple years ago and I'm walking down this road in John 12 where Jesus does the triumphal entry. It's paved now, which is really nice because there's not all the gravel. But I'm walking down this road and I'm horsing around with a friend of mine and I roll my ankle and I I hobbled all the way down the hill. Are God's promises not true? No, that's not its referring. It's referring when we stumble in our lives. Another thing that can happen on the way is it gets very hot there. If you're not properly hydrated, you can get sunstroke. God's your guardian, right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke. Also, you're traveling with a lot of people. There could be a lot of emotional things going on without proper rest. You can become emotionally ill. In ancient times, they would always equate this to the moon, to lunar, which is where we get our word lunacy from, actually. And so what does he say? God's your guardian, sheltering you from moonstroke. These are all the metaphors of things that can happen on this road of discipleship with God. These things can befall us, but God has us. Now, our metaphors obviously would be different today. We would say, 
God guards you from a crazy bat in a Wuhan lab, or uh, God guards you uh, from peace talks in Afghanistan, or from Aaron running a drill through his hand when he wants to play guitar the next week, or something like that. We have to understand the whole adage of safety first, but even with safety measures in our life, things still happen. Security is not guaranteed, but our salvation is. That's what we're being told. That's what we're being told here. Our salvation is. The psalm writer says, Psalm 121, verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. That's because God is steady. Peterson says He won't let you stumble. But the more better idea is not be moved. It doesn't mean trouble doesn't come. It means that God keeps us and guards us in the midst of those trouble. He shields you from sunstroke, from moonstroke. Not meaning that Christians never sprain their ankles or get sunstroke or have emotional problems. I mean, have you ever had an emotional breakdown yourself? I think a lot of us have had things like that. As a matter of fact, if you haven't watched our talking element this week, Judy Lees is on it, and she talks about certain things that have happened in her life, and it's great. I know Christians who have gone through anger and depression and anxiety. People who love Jesus dearly have gone through those things. Is the psalm wrong? No, it's not wrong. Why? The why is what the psalm is talking about. I think today, so often, we forget what followers up until our day would have realized. That here, it's not that we never stumble or get sunstroke. It's that no injury, no illness, no accident has the power to separate us from the love of God, the salvation of God, or the purpose of God in our life. That's what we're being told. We have spoken about this a lot of times at Element. When people look at the Bible, sometimes they think it's harsh when it deals with certain realities of life. But I will tell you, no literature, ancient or modern, is more realistic in the honest facing of the things that people go through in their lives. I was watching this TV show last week, and this person on it said, God's job is to love everybody and care for everybody. That's his job. When do we get to say what God's job is? God's job is to glorify Himself, and in Him being glorified, He brings His people joy. If God placed anything before Himself, He would cease to be God. He'd become an idolater. If God loved us more than He loves Himself and His glory, He'd be an idolater, because we are not good gods. God is for God first, and in so doing, out of that comes His love and His grace given to us. And the Scriptures never once portray a life lived worshiping God as free of difficulties and pain. As a matter of fact, our God comes in the person of Jesus, and He is despised and rejected for us to rescue us from our own rebellion. What God does promise is He'll be with us even in the midst of our struggles. Peterson says this, On every page of the Bible there is recognition that faith encounters troubles. When Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer in the middle of it, He says, And pray, deliver us from evil. That's not like demons or the devil. Ah. What it is, is the troubles that come into our lives every day, this thing that would be called evil, and God protects us through that every single day. I have told you frequently that people learn more and go through painful times than any other time during their lives. Now, don't get me wrong. Nobody is happy for the painful times or the tragedies in the middle of them. Nobody. But on the backside of it, there's insight and character and hope that becomes so invaluable that we learn by going through those things. The question about stumbling and falling has been around forever. Everybody's trying to answer this question from Pythagoras to Plato to Augustine to Anselm to Aquinas to Martin Luther to Martin Luther King. And if you took the humans who have figured it out, that page is going to be empty. Because God is the only one who knows how the world moves, how our lives are meant to work out, what brings them glory, and how we live in joy. This is what the psalm writer is pointing us towards. My stumbling hurts, yes, my pain hurts, and my grief hurts, and my loneliness hurts, but too many times in those places we are prone to ask, God, where are you? Or those who don't believe say, where is this God whom you speak of? And when we trust ourselves more than we trust our God, suffering becomes a natural outplay of that in the world around us. 
And that's why the psalm writer, in that second step, we return to who God is. We take the second step, and the second step is, who are we trusting? Who are we trusting? I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? When trouble hits, where do we look to for help? Now, some translations say hills, some say mountains, but as we look around us for help, what do we look to? Does your strength come from mountains? Does your strength come from mountains? No, no, you live in a valley. One day those mountains will be dust. Our strength doesn't come from mountains. And this may not ring too loud or or deep for you, but let me explain it a bit. Uh, During this day when this psalm is written, there's a lot of idolatry in Israel. And if you were taking these psalms of ascent to go to Jerusalem to worship God, you may actually be just one of a few. Now the mountains around Israel, they're pretty amazing. Here's a picture. I took it. I took that picture. (laughs) iPhone 11, right there. Could have been better if I had a real camera, but whatever. So, so here's this. As you start to actually get up into those mountains and begin to walk through them, what you would start to see when you got up in them where there were shrines to pagan gods. They planted uh, these groves of trees where there would be male and female shrine prostitutes to have sex with you to bring about the fertility to the land. You would go through and try and find these people who would sell you enchantments so your feet wouldn't stumble along the way. Peterson writes this, Do you fear the sun's heat? Go to the sun priest and pay for protection against the sun god. Are you fearful of the malign influence of moonlight? Go to the moon priestess and buy an amulet. Are you haunted by the demons that can cause any pebble under your foot to trip you? Go to the shrine and learn the magic formula to ward off the mischief. The question is, where do you look to for help? The psalm writer is addressing all of these shrines and all these people and all these things that people are looking to other than God himself. For us, this would be like going to downtown New York City. I don't know if you've ever been there, Times Square. It's loud and it's noisy and there's pictures and TVs all around you just screaming things at you. And all these things are worship our lights, worship these things, watch this movie, eat this food, buy this house, get this phone, own this car, use this dating app. You can hook up and shack up and break up all in the same day. You need a better job. You need bigger boobs. You need smaller boobs. You need a better physique. That's why you struggle. And you would not struggle in your life if you just had this. And that's what we're told. All these things buy for our attention. Buy for, if I put my hope in that, that's my salvation. But the writer says, from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. All those things that we're looking to to fulfill us, God made those things. They are not God, they are creation. That's what we're being told here. And a good question then you come back to is, what are we looking to for our hope and our salvation? What do we trust? All the pagan gods that surround the hills in Israel, from Baal to Molech to Asherah to the sun and moon priests, they're a sorry group and offer nothing but what enslaved you. And the same thing is true today for all the things that we put our hope in. This will make me feel fulfilled. Oh, why do I feel horrible now? Because that thing was never meant to fulfill you. Anytime we look to the hills for something to save us, it ends up in disappointment. Because for all their glitz and glamour, they are just hills. And their promises are lies. Jeremiah 3.23 says, Truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Truly in the Lord our God alone. And is it a reminder that God doesn't sleep? He's not a false God. He is real and with us every day. Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God keeps you. God guards you. In Psalm 121, three times we'll use the personal name Yahweh for God. Eight times we'll tell you that God guards us or keeps us or He is our keeper. That means God's not an impersonal force. 
He's not a warlord that just barks out orders. He is with us every step of this journey, every single day of our lives. Along obedience, the same direction says this, Do you think the way to tell the story of the Christian journey is to describe its trials and tribulations? It is not. It is to name and describe God who preserves, accompanies, and rules us. And too often what we do in our lives, not that we can't talk about our trials and tribulations, is we only focus on them. And we are meant to, in the end, focus on the God who preserves and accompanies us and rules us and saves us. That is where our focus is meant to be, and that's what we talk about. The premise of the psalm is a reminder that God guards us. God keeps us because He is the only one who can. And nothing in this world can separate us from God's purposes for us. None of the things that have ever happened to you, none of the troubles you encounter have any power to get between you and God's love for your life. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can dilute the grace of God in our life because it is dependent upon Him and not upon us. And the only mistake that we make when illness or injury threatens us is to think that God has ceased to guard us. And one of the things that Psalm 121 tries to prevent is thinking that God's interest in us waxes and wanes in regard to our spiritual temperature. I will tell you, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't care anything about Him, weren't thinking about Him, didn't care who He was, God still came and died for us to bring us back to Himself. God is the one who is sure. God is the one who is full of grace. God is the one that we can trust. That's what we're supposed to do in this second step of the journey. Repentance, and the second step, I'm going to trust God. Peterson writes this, The great danger of Christian discipleship is that we should have two religions, a glorious biblical Sunday gospel that sets us free from the world, that in the cross and the resurrection of Christ makes eternity alive to us, and then an everyday religion that we make do with during the week between the time of leaving the world and arriving in heaven. Like thinking that somehow God's not with us every single day, walking with us every moment. Psalm 129 reminds us that the faith that's in the works in the big things is at work in the small things. And our help only comes from the Lord. How do we know our help comes from the Lord? Because of the gospel. What Christ did to rescue and save us. We are in rebellion. We run away from God. We want nothing to do with Him. And He comes to rescue and save us in the person of Christ. He takes our sin, our rebellion against God upon Himself on the cross. He takes our sin and He gives us His righteousness in this place. The great exchange. He takes our death. He gives us His life. We are a people who are meant to put our hope and our faith and our trust in who Christ is. And this is why every Wicked Element we come to the place of communion. I'm going to invite the band to come up, the three of them. And I'm going to invite you to communion. Because communion is a place where we come back to the place and realize we take this because we trust God. Because we trust what He has done. It's to reset and remind us in our focus of who God is and what He has done. The first step is repentance, but us being able to come to a place of repentance comes about because of what God has done here. And then the next step, walking in faithful trust of who He is, is when we take that communion and say, God, I do this solely because of what You have done to rescue and save me. It is beauty. It is grace. It is God's love given to us. And so when you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for you and you drink the grape juice, it's that reminder of God's great rescue and salvation for every one of us because He is the one we can trust. 
Our hope doesn't come from all the things around us. Our hope doesn't come from one another. But we can remind one another of the great hope that we have. Our hope comes from God who made heaven and earth. If you need prayer this morning, grab Sarah at the Welcome Center. She'll connect you with one of us. You know, maybe you've been putting your hope in a, on a whole lot of things. Like, you don't know if you can actually trust God himself. You've been trusting in a whole lot of other things, and you want someone to pray with you. We would love to be able to pray with you about that, about all these things, because God is good, and he has been generous, and we are people who trust him. That's one of the reasons that Element, we never pass a plate for offerings. Our offerings are boxes on the sidewall or online, because it's a response to what God has done. We want to be a people who respond in worship and love and trust of who He is because He has been so good to us, so we entrust our things to Him. And so we give. I'd also encourage you to grab the sermon notes. Oh, all of them are gone. Awesome. Uh, grab the sermon notes. Hopefully they're in here somewhere. Hope we got some more. Uh, and, and go through those daily things that are in there. Just each day, you know, ask yourself that question, make an answer, pray through the thing underneath it. And then if you're with other people, maybe family or friends or a gospel community, ask one another those questions on the other side. And come back to this th- throughout the week. Who do we trust? Who do we trust? Is our faith fully in who God is or is it in some other thing? Because when it is in some other thing, we will always crumble and fall and bring about misery in our lives. Our lives are meant to be God's, His, because He is the great rescuer of every single one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for being a God who draws us to places of repentance where we start this journey living and walking and loving You, that we get to return home to our God who rescues and saves us. that our hope is found fully in you. And out of that, I ask that you teach us as we take these steps to trust you, each of these steps, because it's not that you love us because of the steps, you love us in the steps as you walk with us. And God, we are people who do stumble, and we do fall, and we metaphorically get moonstroke and sunstroke. And yet you are the one who keeps us and guards us in the midst of that. Because you are good. Not because we are good. Not that we have anything in ourselves that make us worthy of your love. It is simply who you are. And I ask that you would then teach us to be a humble people who are undone by your goodness. And that we would then begin to live out our lives in this world around us, in front of people, showing that we walk with the God who loves us and offers us grace. And we trust in Him in every single aspect and area of our life. Have us live as your people outside of these walls that we wouldn't come here together and just be really excited and here, though that would happen. We ask that we would live our lives outside these walls in ways that glorify and honor you. Teach us to be your people, not just for an hour a week, but for all the hours of our weeks and all the days of our lives, that you would be glorified and we will walk with you in humble, repentant trust for your glory and ultimately, in the end, for our good, because you are good. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask Nick to lower the side blinds, you know, just to remove some distractions from all of us during the next few moments. And, and ask God right now, without a whole lot of distractions around you, hopefully, what have you been trusting in in your life? Is it a person? Is it a job? Is it your bank account? Is it your 401k or 503b? 
Is it a political party? Is it, what is it? What do we trust in other than God himself? What becomes the source of the recognition of who we are as a people? And ask God to reveal that to you. And then lay that before him. And then worship the God who is the maker of heaven and earth. And put your trust in him first above all things.